And we say good afternoon to our vet, Dr. David Tabbert. How have you been this week? Oh, very Christmassy, Dave. Yeah? Yeah, very good. Glad to be here. Lots of fun. You, yeah. Well, you don't want me to sing, do you? No, no, no. Well, this is our last <laughs> show of the year, so if you want to break into song, I'm happy for you to do that. Well, not not because it is our last show, but just because it is the season to be merry. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> and Denny, Denny, you'll break into G'day. song. Easy. Oh, Drop not the hat. really. Yeah, no, come on. Do that, no. Come on. My voice ain't singing no? voice. No. Oh, but okay. did you bring the CD with Christmas carols with the dogs? No, the one I with howling, one. I like jingle that. bills, and, and there's that. a cat one. Meow, meow, meow. <laughs> yeah. That's good too. You didn't bring it. You haven't got it. I, I didn't bring That's it. Fun. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fun. Now, what have we got today? You've got a special guest. We'll be talking to. I do, Dr. Ian Dunbar. He is uh, going to be talking to us from way, way away in uh, in California. So that'll be a nice live cross. And he's got a bunch of seminars happening in Sydney and Melbourne in early February about behavioural training with your dogs, with puppies, and so we'll touch base with him and see what the courses are about and what he's trying to do. Right, so that'll be great. We'll talk to him in around 10 minutes. Also, what about a topic for us from you today? Well, I thought a bit of a wrap-up of, you know, the year and what we've sort of dealt with, the problems, some of the ideas that stood out, and, of course, we've always got to remind people about things to be aware of around Christmas and uh, don't let your pet eat chocolate, things like that. 20 past 12, it's Pet Chat this afternoon and we've got our vet, uh, Dr David Tabbert, with us. How are you, Dave? Now, before we get talk about the Christmas uh, break and uh, what we do with our pets and so on, then we had a call last week from Alwyn, I think just at the end of the show, who was asking about if you're brushing your dog's teeth and using toothpaste because um, he had used or considered using the human toothpaste and as we know human toothpaste contains fluoride and whether that would be useful or not for dogs but the interesting thing is and Danny you probably have some experience with seeing these products uh, the uh, fluoride levels in toothpaste is designed not to be swallowed yes and of course our pets well they don't read the instructions <laughs> and I, I never knew this until I actually started realizing it about our pets as well so you can get toothpaste for dogs yes you can and it comes in different flavours. Uh, so there's a beef flavour, a malt flavour, and um, I think from what everybody tells me, probably a roast beef and gravy because uh, their pet loves eating that sort of stuff. Yeah, imagine if we had toothpaste like that. Human toothpaste with, you know, roast lamb and veggies flavour. Kind of do, <laughs> do you think that's a product line we should investigate? Maybe. Instead of the, mmm, that's so lovely, it smells like roast lamb. <laughs> Rather than uh, rather than like the minty fresh, clean. Mm. might not feel like you've had a good clean. But if you if you're going to brush your dog's teeth, and there's special toothbrushes as well. There's the thimble type ones that mm. fit over the end of your finger, yeah. and there's also a proper brush, of course. And a lot of people will do that. Um, you, you've just got to train your dog into it, I suppose. That's the thing. But if you're doing that, make sure you use a uh, a toothpaste that's suitable for dogs, not a human toothpaste, because they could end up potentially with fluoride toxicity. So. Just something to follow up on uh, from last week. But as I said at the start of the show, we're going to just sort of have a think about, you know, the sort of topics we've talked about over the year. We've, you know, we've dealt with skin problems of all different sites and obviously uh, types. Uh, parasites are a big thing, but also our common allergic uh, skin disease that we see in the little fluffy dogs and uh, a lot of behaviour problems. So we've been very lucky Dr. Bob's popped in this year yes. a couple of times. And we've had Julie Tolliday here as well we in have, the studio a couple yep. of times. So we've always been able to answer these questions. And next year we've made plans. So Dr. Bob's going to be a regular guest on the show. 
um, where he'll be able to answer your questions once a month um, by being our resident vet on Pet Chat. And, uh, but that doesn't mean you can't ring in any other time and we can see if we can help help you out with any problems. So we've had our behaviour problems, had our skin problems. We've had even, and this one I know that you guys always have a chuckle about, the chickens. And, of course, we had the... <laughs> I, I have to say the most memorable call I think this year has to have been about hatching chicken eggs after they've been in the fridge. Yeah. And I was happy to be proven wrong. And I thought it was a fascinating... Uh, exchange because we ended up where we actually had one of our callers had done the actual experiment where the eggs that had been in the in the fridge then were brought out and actually hatched live chickens. And so he called back to let us know. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was fantastic. Yeah. So we we've we've gone the whole gamut of things, haven't we? We've gone from the skin behaviour and obviously the coughing dogs and the heart dogs, and then we've had cats that won't use their litter tray properly. Yes. Right through to the chicken eggs and whether they hatch. Fully antique issues, snake bites this time of year as well. Absolutely. Actually, about ticks, I do have a question for you. Uh, while you can have a flea and tick product for cats, it, there doesn't seem to be too much of a problem with cats and ticks. Is that because they groom themselves so often that they pull the tick out, David? I think it's all it's that, but it's also that the tick doesn't like cats. Oh, okay. So, in actual fact, ticks don't really like dogs that much, and I know that that's sort of a uh, something that goes against the grain, considering there's plenty of dogs out there that have had, you know, tick poisoning and so on. But we do know that uh, if you, for instance, take a dog in an enclosed environment, and people have done this experiment, pour a hundred ticks on them, you come back in the morning, pretty much ninety of the ticks will be on the floor. Mm. There's only about a ten percent attachment. If you take a cat and put it do the same thing you'll find it's uh, there's a lot more on the floor there's very rarely do they end up with a tick on them so whether it's grooming or it's uh, maybe that there's something in the animal's blood um, or it's carbon dioxide levels because ticks are attracted to carbon dioxide um, and that's why we find them in front of the shoulders head and neck region because the ticks actually attracted to the carbon dioxide yes. that the animal breathes out yes so if you're searching your uh, dog or cat, then concentrate on those areas primarily, but also all over. But concentrate on the head and neck, um, under the lips and around the neckline, uh, around the jawline, in the ears. That's, they're the sort of areas to be aware of. Um, tick prevention for cats can be a little bit difficult because we're limited with the number of products that we can use. And it's a very bad season for ticks this year, isn't it? Yeah, we, look, we say that every year, but I do, actually, this would be one of the no, first... I think you'll agree with me. I this think is this the year, worst season. Yeah, worst. I would have to agree. I think this year has certainly been a bit of a struggle, and this late sort of uh, unseasonal cooler weather has actually prolonged the tick season. A lot of people think ticks are a summer problem, but they're actually a spring problem. Because yeah, as soon as it dries out, the ticks will disappear. Uh, it's really that wet weather that keeps them here. Mm. So just be vigilant with your tick prevention over summer as well. 29 past 12, it is Pet Chat this afternoon here in uh, 2NURFM and we've got Denny Boz with us and a special guest on the line, Denny. We do, Dr Ian Dunbar from California, Dave. Now, Dr Ian's a veterinarian, animal behaviourist and dog trainer. He's authored numerous books and DVDs about puppy, dog behaviour and training, including books, uh, How to Teach a Dog, uh, sorry, I'll say that again, including How to Teach a New Dog Old Tricks and the Serious 
puppy training video. And in 1982, Dr. Dunbar designed and taught the world's very first off-leash puppy socialisation and training classes. He's also hosted the popular UK television shit series Dogs with Dunbar for five seasons. He's appeared on many US TV shows and even consulted in animation movies such as Pixar's Up. Thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Ian. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, now, um, you'll actually be coming down south to down under Australia in February, so it'll be lovely to have you here and host you here. And you'll be doing some seminars. Can you tell us a little bit about what we'll, we will, uh, you'll be covering in those seminars? Yeah, there's two things, really. Um, you know, 30 years ago, I, I developed puppy classes, and they're pretty cool, but it's too little too late. Um, Coincidentally, Mike Nesmith, who was just singing, yes. formed a production company which produced the Serious Puppy Training DVD. <laughs> what a small world. Video way back then. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Anyway, um, you know, there's lots we're not doing with puppies, so that's one part I want to talk about. You know, we, we're not doing enough socialization before three months, doing it safely at home. Puppy time should be party time. And then the, the other thing I'm really excited about is... The notion of punishment, you know, we have to teach people how to inhibit or get rid of undesirable behaviors. And everyone thinks that we've got to punish the dog and that's going to be nasty. But in fact, you know, when we are people training dogs, there's much more efficient ways to get them back on track again when we use our voice. So that's the thing that excites me the most because it means you don't have to be nasty to your dog when you're training it. I think that's an important aspect in terms of, of what you're mentioning about doing the correct training in the first few months of, of uh, purchasing or getting your puppy. Because one thing is what we'd like to eliminate is the amount of puppies or dogs under one years old being ending up at the pound and possibly being euthanized. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's, it's so predictable what's happening that people get a puppy at eight weeks and it's not house trained or chew toy trained and it's not socialized and then they don't know they have to do it at home. So about four months they put it outside in the yard and then the puppy learns to bark and dig and escape and so they put it in the garage or basement and then it's off to the shelter. Whereas if you, you train it right in the first three months, especially at the breeder's kennel and then the first month at home, and create good habits, what you find is good habits are just as hard to break as bad habits. Mm. And the dog, you know, the owner will be happy if the dog remains in their home. Yeah. One of the areas uh, which is an inter integral part of training is one that you'll be touching on during uh, your seminars uh, is actually an area which is used for training, phasing out food lures and food rewards. And that's, uh, as I said, an integral part of training, using those, those, uh, the food as uh, the lures there and the, the rewards. H how will you be going about doing that? Um, yeah, it's kind of ironic, really, because I was the person who introduced the use of food when training you know, pet dogs and cats. But people have forgotten the, the technique and, and they just end up luring the dog with food and they never get out of their hands. So when the dog turns into an adolescent, now they're bribing. So what you do is you use the food as a lure to teach the dog the, you know, the meaning of the word sit, down, come and all that stuff. Then you just put it in your pocket and the dog's got so used to following your hand that your hand signals are sufficient. Then you've got to phase out the food as a reward pretty easy there's much better rewards i mean for my dog you know the, the number one reward for my dog is i tell him to run away from me and i chase him so i put <laughs> running away on cue so i have brilliant recalls we play this game 
and, and you've got to think of what rewards, uh, you know, the dog really likes, like playing tug, playing fetch, getting on the couch, you know. And, and, and you find that a food reward is actually a pretty low-level reward for a dog. So it's, it's very easy to phase out, but you have to do this. You have to make sure that the dog will, you know, do what you ask him to do, even if you don't have food in your hand or in your pocket. So to me, it's a really important aspect of lure reward training. So, yeah, that we'll, we'll devote the whole day to that in the, in the seminars. That is totally, uh, well, quite a, a different uh, tact in terms of what a lot of people are used to, but I can see the valid points in that as well. Dr. Ian, what about, there's a lot of breeders who also listen to our program here. What can they do when they're raising the puppies for the first eight weeks to help with the behavioural training when they leave the breeder and go to their new home? Oh, my word, everything. I mean, the puppies should be raised, well, number one, before their eyes and ears open, we need lots of handling, neonatal handling, you know. Um, they can't hear or sort of see too well, but they can smell, they know it's a stranger, and they can feel. And then they want to raise it in, in an errorless house training setup, so the dog grows up using a doggy toilet and grows up um, chewing on his chew toys, and, and, and then teach the owners to continue doing this when the dog goes to the new home. So it's like there's so much that, that uh, breeders can do. And, and if they, you know, it only takes one good breeder to change things and then advertise that they are selling eight-week-old puppies, which are pretty much house-trained, chew-toy-trained, manners-trained, and socialized. And I, I think the general public would rather pay a premium price for a companion puppy like this rather than bargain basement prices for a dog that isn't house-trained, it's not chew-toy-trained, and it's already becoming fearful. Wow. Can you, because we don't have a lot of time, but I was just thinking another important thing is if you can just give a couple of pointers when people bring their, their puppy uh, home from the breeder, what are just a couple of things that are very important that need to be done straight away? I think, you know, to, to research beforehand, and, and we have from our website, Dogstar Daily, two free books that uh, they can download before you get your puppy, after you get your puppy, so they know that the day, the very first day the puppy comes home, he wants to be in an errorless training system. So the owner sets up the situation and basically the puppy trains himself so that we don't get these problems of house soiling, destructive chewing, excessive barking, separation anxiety, and that sort of thing. Yes. So I would say be prepared. And then, and then the second point is don't feed your puppy from a food bowl. You know, weigh out his daily ration in the morning and hand feed him while your man is training him or if you're classically conditioning him to people, especially men and children. And whatever food you got left over, moisten it, stuff it into chew toys like Kongs, yep. freeze them overnight, give them to the puppy in the morning and magic will happen. Wow, that's um. It, sometimes when you explain it the way you did, it just seems quite logical in a way too. Now, you'll be here... You know, it's so simple that people aren't thinking about it. Yet. Yes. So you'll be here on February in Sydney, February the 3rd, 4th and 5th to do your seminar. For some more information, uh, people can go on to www.dunbarinoz.com. So that's spelled D-U-N-B-A-R-I-N-O-Z. And, uh, yeah, it'll be great. We, we'll mention it again next year in the new year to let people know about the, the conference. Who is it for? Who can attend? Oh, anybody. I mean, it's primarily for trainers and veterinarians, but the, the way I lecture, I never use, you know, big, long, fancy words. So 
pet owners can come and just really enjoy the seminar. It's, uh, you know, for anyone who wants to come to listen, and, you know, Melbourne's almost full up already. We had to get a bigger room. Wow. Um, Sydney needs a bit of a push, though. So I don't know what it is with Sydney people that uh, Melbourne's beating you out here. Okay. Oh, gee, don't start that Melbourne versus Sydney thing. You don't want to be doing that. <laughs> That's like San Francisco versus L.A., my friend. You don't want to start that. Well, there's no competition there. <laughs> Thank you very much, our very special guest this afternoon, Dr. Ian Dunbar. Now, let's tell you a bit more about these seminars. They are hosting them in Sydney on the 3rd, the 4th, and 5th of February. We have a great prize today. We're going to give someone the chance to go along. We are two tickets we've got a giveaway for two tickets to the seminar for all three days that's valued at nearly six hundred dollars oh yes and all you have to do is call through to register your name we'll do the drawing around 15 20 minutes give us a call on 49216216 to register your name to go in the draw and we'll announce those two winners around five to one this afternoon so if you want to go along to what is going to be a memorable very memorable seminar there and find out more about how to best train your pet that is the way to go with uh, dr ian dunbar and we're going to glendale as i promised we've got lang waiting patiently there hello lang how are you yeah, good, thanks. Hi, Lang. What can we do for you? Uh, just two questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting some foaming shampoo for my cat. Is it safe to use fragrance on her? And the other question is, my cat, um, Missy, her name is, yep. she's always bringing presents into the house, like lips and frogs, and she plays with them. How do I train her not to do that? Uh, well, the first, first question about uh, the fragrance... <coughs> excuse me is um, you do need to be very careful now because cats um, have a higher metabolic rate being a smaller body size and also because they tend to self-groom anything that we put on their skin will be ingested and so there are some compounds that are going to be dangerous Um, probably safer to use only products that are labelled for cats now there's a lot of things that people come up with ideas and they'll say I use this and I use that but at the same time we've seen toxicity in a lot of uh, cats where the unregistered or untested products have been used because as I said they will ingest them and cats also have a unique metabolism in that their liver processes compounds quite differently to other species like dogs or people they uh, have well I can't say it's a deficiency because it's their system but they have a different way of um, detoxifying compounds such that they end up with the the compound stays in their bloodstream for a lot longer and it can cause toxicity so the safest bet is go with anything that's labeled for cats if it's not labeled for cats don't assume that a dog product could be used don't assume that a human product could be used okay okay second uh second part was um how do you stop them coming in and well the first thing is they've uh, probably put a bell on them put a bell on I missy a, i have a bell on missy but she keeps being logs and lizards and um, for, uh, and okay, put two bells on. Now, okay. I'm not just <laughs> not just saying. Well, if one doesn't, oftentimes what will happen is if you actually watch her, she can be so stealthy that she could actually catch a, a small lizard or whatever without uh, making the bell ring. Um, now, that doesn't always work for some creatures that you know respond to. Uh, they're not. They don't have a sense of hearing, but they can feel the pressure and things like that. So they tend to be nocturnal, so keeping in her at night, two bells actually work better than one, um, and that's probably the best way to reduce the amount of um, 
presents that she's going to bring you at this time of year. All right, thank you. Good luck with that, Lang, and thanks for your call. 49216216 if you'd like to be part of Pet Chat. Joining us right now from Merriweather. Hello, Monique. Oh. Yes. Oh, hi. Sorry. Hi, Monique. It's David here. Oh, hi, David. What can we do for you? Well, uh, I was uh, just wondering. My dog uh, is, is just uh, now nearly a year old, and he just likes to chew everything that sees, and uh, I just don't know what to do to, you know, help uh, it to get off this habit. Well, we were just talking uh, with Ian Dunbar, who was giving us some great advice about that. Look, chewing is a normal activity for dogs, so it's probably not yeah. so much the chewing, it's what he's chewing. And yeah, Ian, exactly. Ian, yeah, Ian just gave us a great tip, is that when you go to feed your dog, rather than feed them a set meal in a bowl, that it actually becomes part of their daytime learning rewards so that uh, right. you're using it. And then at the end of the day soak the dry food and then pop it into a Kong, okay, wrap yes. it, yeah, they've got a hollow centre, you put the food in, wrap them up in plastic overnight, put them in the freezer, you get them out and they get that the next day. So what happens with the Kong is it's a very hard type of rubber that the dogs, they're almost indestructible. In fact, I think they've got a guarantee on them, haven't they, Danny? Um, oh, they... nice one. Sorry? Nice one. Yeah, yeah they're, they're very useful. Um, we've got uh, a number of... You can get them in all different sizes, okay? So if you go to a pet shop or a vet, ask for a Kong, and then they stuff the centre of them with dog food, wrap them up, and you give them that to chew on during the day, and they're rewarding. That's the thing about chewing. It's a rewarding activity, and so he would prefer to chew on that rather than chew on the furniture or anything else that might be about. Now, have we got any, this time of the year, events on? Any dog or cat events or anything? There is. The last dog show of the year is on at uh, Hills... Uh, sorry, not Hillsborough, Morris at Dog Show Grounds. Right. Narimba Street. This weekend, on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Dave, what about the microchipping? You were mentioning the microchipping. Well, last, last week we were uh, speaking about and chatting about the uh, microchipping day, Lake Macquarie City Council... Uh, having, I think it's this Saturday between 10 and 2 at uh, Warners Bay Pet Stock. So and they'll accept people from any council. So yeah, if you're in, very Maitland, generous, in Maitland or anywhere, you can go down and get your, your dog... Uh, okay. Have the microchip yeah, place. Yeah, so we did yeah. actually um, specify that what the procedure is, is uh, microchip placement. It uh, And then the details are put on and pets yeah. have to be registered, which is when you actually pay the registration fee uh, after six months of age. There's also, I just wanted to mention, the Tasmanian devil, uh, the devil facial tumour disease that they're going through. Mm. And some pretty they're going great reports. up at Barrington, but aren't they? The ones yeah, that's what I was yeah. going to... But the bad report is that in Tasmania, it looks like the devil's going towards excision and now it sees more than 84% of the wild population destroyed. Oh, and they're thinking gosh. in the next couple of years, there might only be 1% to 5% uh, left of the wild population. But at the Barrington Tops, there is a uh, breeding program that's going on and it's been very successful this year they've seen 26 little devils wow. being born that raising program is great mm. and then what's going to happen is is that when the the disease travels its course in tasmania they mm. will then release these back into the wild oh, okay. so yeah fantastic Hopefully work. They'll be right i want you boys to say hello to lorraine she joins us now from fletcher good afternoon hi how are you today hi lorraine what can we do for you um, we have a, an, an old 
chihuahua. She's about 16 year old. Right. And um, she's come from my husband's family, and I'm not very sure on how to to look after it. Last summer, I had her at the vet been um, suffering from dehydration. So right. She doesn't drink a lot, and I'm just trying to prevent it again this summer, and I don't know what to do. It's unusual that a dog uh, would spontaneously get to that point. There are circumstances, particularly hot days and so on, or limited water, um, if, a, if a dog's got limited water options. So making sure that there's plenty of fresh water. And dogs actually do prefer to drink cool, cold or cool water rather than water that's been sitting out there and heats up. So uh, making sure the water's in the shade is very important. Usually with big dogs, we also mention is to make sure they won't tip the water bowl over, but little dogs will do that as well, so it's very important to have a permanent water supply. Some dogs, Lorraine, like running water, so in pet stores you'll find uh, little pet fountain bowls that have some running water. I know cats love it, but also some dogs can be particular uh, about their water. So the running water provides oxygenation and it keeps it fresh. That would be something you could possibly try too. Yeah, the other thing, Lorraine, is is this um, little dog, is she on any medication? No. No, okay. Just a, an older chihuahua is uh, usually a candidate for heart disease and sometimes they'll be on medication that can dehydrate them. But I guess the other thing would be is to just make sure that uh, we don't have kidney disease or some hormonal diseases like diabetes or there are some uh, another condition called diabetes insipidus or diabetes mellitus, the sugar diabetes, and those sort of three things, kidney disease and the two types of diabetes, I would think would be worthwhile checking. Um, okay. Because if you've got those problems there, then just simply providing water won't give you a hundred, you know, won't control the problem altogether. All right, Lorraine, good luck with that. I hope that goes well for you. Thank you for giving us a call. 49216216. We've got Annette with us now from Curry Curry. Hi, Annette. How are you going? Oh, good afternoon. I'm good, thank you. I'm just got a question I heard you talking about uh, microchipping. My little miniature schnauzer is microchipped. Mm-hmm. When I got her, the microchip is very, very close to the top of the skin surface and mm. sometimes if you pick her up, it hurts her. Is it a big thing to have that removed and re- redone again? Um, it shouldn't be hurting her at all, even if it is near the surface of the skin. They're, rather, they're in an inert um, material. So I haven't heard, I have heard problems when they get too close to the bone, like they're deeper, but yeah. not, usually when they're in the skin, they just roll around and they don't, like they, they get encased in a little bit of fibrous tissue. They're not the easiest thing to remove. Yeah. Um, she is very small. She's only 3.4 kilos. Yeah. Well, they're done, you know, we do the microchip placement in very young kittens and puppies. Mm. Um, and I've even done it in, uh, birds, in a cockatiel and things like that. So we do them in small animals. But um, usually they don't cause a pain response. I get it is possible that you could have a, a sort of a adverse reaction with some pain response, but the difficulty there is, you know, she's, she's nearly eleven months old, mm-hmm. but she is very very tiny, and um, you can virtually feel the whole chip through the skin. Yeah, that's. But I've had other dogs. I've had silky terriers that's had the microchipping, but you could never ever feel this. Yeah, it's not unusual though. We right. probably uh, wouldn't wouldn't be able to put a number on it. Leaving it there like that. It, it wouldn't on its own. It wouldn't be causing a problem. My concern is if there is any pain associated with it, then possibly removing it's not going to fix the pain response. And I would be very surprised if any 
pain is actually associated with the chip itself, particularly if it's superficial. It should therefore be causing less problems. But it might be something to get checked out by your vet to make sure that there's no um, irritation of nerves, things like that, because that could occasionally flare up as a problem. So. Thank you for that, Annette. Good luck. And Sandra joins us now from Lake Munmora. Good afternoon, Sandra. Hello, how are you? Oh, good, thanks, Sandra. What can we do for you? Well, I have got a little visitor at 2 o'clock every morning, a little possum. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm actually living so close to his territory, I'm really invading his privacy. Mm. So I'm, I'm backing on to the park for my wife. So he's crossing my roof, bang, 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 and my little dog's barking at him. And yeah. I don't want to hurt him, but is there something that I can do? People suggested citronella or something, sprinkle that, but I don't want to harm him. Is he is he just on the outside of the roof? Like, he's not getting up into your rafters or anything? No, he's not in the rafters. I've got a um, colour roof. He's just walking yeah. across the top, climbing onto my deck and actually looking at me while I'm talking to him at 2 o'clock in the morning, saying to him, you're back again, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> and he's going... Yeah, I'm still looking at you. <laughs> yeah. And possums, uh, as we know, they're nocturnal, so this is the time when he's out and about. Yeah. And, um, so, and you're right. After my he could be after my dog's dried food that I've got left out. Oh, sure. Any sort of food source they might be interested in, although they're generally, you know, they're, they're not uh, big on dog food eating. But um, okay. if they sense or smell any food, they could come in close. They very much like the fruits and flowers and things like that. So uh, males in particular like to roam around. They, you know, get around their territory. They'll fight off any uh, other males that come in. They're looking for females at this time of the year to mate with as well. So it can be very difficult. And the problem is that if you... There are people who will catch and release them somewhere else but you will find another male will come into the territory straight away, like within the next 24 hours afterwards. It's uh, that quick. Well, it could be different ones that are coming. I, I don't know. Oh, with no. Dog, it'll, yeah, it'll just be, the one, just be the one possum. Would my dog likely to hurt it, or would it hurt my dog? Uh, both. Or not both? Both, yeah. I do have experience with... Um, We've seen generally possums and cats don't go well together. Possums and dogs, we do see problems as well. And they both come off the worse the wear afterwards. So you do need to keep your dog away. Yeah, um, I ended up locking her in at night. Mm. And the biggest difficulty is without, you know, it's a cute sort of country wild nature coming into the suburbia. If your dog wasn't getting so upset as well, then it probably wouldn't be so bad. So it's unfortunately not an easy problem to resolve. Um, I don't know of any experience that people have used citronella or anything like that, but there are possum catchers who you can talk to uh, who might be able to provide some advice and you just look in the yellow pages for those guys. Thank you, Sandra, and thank you for your call. And we're almost out of time for our pet chat today. We've had a wonderful year this year. It's been very good. We've covered a lot of territory, a lot of different topics. Now, before we go too much further, for those who are interested in the seminar, yes. where can we find out more details about that? The website you can go to is Dunbar in Oz. So www.dunbarinoz.com. Okay, more details there. Now, we promised a couple of winners, so people yes. call through, register their details. I've got those people right now. You will be going along and enjoying this wonderful seminar. That's Monique 
from Meriwether Heights, and John from Coal Point. Well Fantastic. done. Well I done. I think we've got all their details. If you too would like to give us a call back on the 49215555 number, we'll be able to tell you all the details about that. But congratulations to Monique from Meriwether Heights and John from Coal Point, both going along to that seminar. Dunbar in Oz. I think that'll be great. I'm thinking of going Danny, to it myself. Danny mm. wants to go along as well, yeah. so maybe... You'll yeah. get something from that, I think. You'll, you'll do well out <laughs> like of that. Two, three, <laughs> three days of it. He knows uh, a lot about uh, some training techniques. Very much. I think now, a quick, a quick message before we go, because I uh, had this happen last year. Easter's are generally chocolate time, but more people are using chocolate or giving chocolate at Christmas. So it's very important to keep your dogs away from chocolate. Don't let them access any chocolate whatsoever. And also, we see cats with tinsel. You know, the Christmas tinsel? Yeah, yeah. And they, if they get that into their gut, they get all sorts of problems. So a couple of Christmas uh, things to watch out for. Thank you to you gentlemen for another great year. Thanks, Dave. To Thank you and you, the family, Dave. both of you, to David, your family, uh, a Merry Christmas, a safe one, and look forward to next year. And also to you, to Jim, and everyone involved with, with you, Danny. We thank you so much for all your help this year. It's been Thanks, wonderful. Dave. And Merry Christmas to you and Lucy. Can't wait till next year. Thank you. Well, we'll be back the first week of February. We'll look forward to it. Have a nice little break.